Now our New Testament uh, lesson, which I said is from Romans 1, 8 to 15. Hear now the infallible inspired word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both Greeks and to barbarians, both wise and to foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And that concludes the reading of God's holy inspired word. Let's pray that God would bless, anoint, and grow us by the preaching and the teaching of his glorious word. Gracious Lord Jesus, we come to you in nothing in our hands that we bring, only to your cross do we cling. Lord, your grace is sufficient to keep us, to sustain us, to grow us, to save us. And so we ask that your grace through the, through the mighty power of your Holy Spirit be poured out on us, on, on believers and unbelievers this morning. If someone is here who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that you would work mightily in their hearts the preaching of the gospel, that they would know that it is finished in Jesus Christ. We have grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, Lord. And so may your mercy and grace overflow this morning. May you grow your kingdom through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We trust, believe, and receive you to do those things. As you say in Isaiah, when your word goes forth, it will not come void. It brings back beautiful things, grace, mercy, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his precious name we ask all these things. Amen. So um, the question I want to look at this morning is, who needs the gospel? It doesn't mean to be like in a flippant way, like, you know, who needs it? But I mean, who actually needs it? And this question matters because um, people have different views or different perspectives or maybe be confused about it. Is the gospel only for unbelievers or is it also for believers as well? And it needs to be addressed because some people believe that it's only unbelievers who desperately need to hear the word of the gospel. But, you know, not so much believers. It's really the unbelievers that need the gospel, not so much believers. And as someone would say from this particular perspective, um, the good news is mainly for the lost so that they can receive Christ and uh, be saved. But on the other hand, uh, Christians who have already received Christ, have already been saved, have already received the blessing of salvation, you can kind of now, you know, move beyond that gospel stuff. You know, just get beyond it. 
you don't need to worry about that because you've already received Christ. So, you know, one and done, we're going to move on from the gospel. And now in the Christian life, we're going to focus on obedience and laws and keeping, uh, keeping everything good and being moral. So some would say the start of the Christian life is focused on Jesus and on Christ. And then you get saved. And it's a great moment. But, you know, later down the road, the focus begins to shift. It shifts to where you're focused on holiness and obedience. Your own moral improvement is your focus. So uh, the start of the Christian life is on the gospel, and then later on it's on laws and morality. Um, and you can see how this makes sense. You can understand how someone could think this. Um, I thought this once um, and I, uh, I'll, I'll get to my kind of embarrassing moment of when I was corrected in front of everybody because I actually thought this. Um, but, uh, you know, they say, okay, gospel gets you in, but the laws, they keep you in. Um, and I, I actually thought this for probably the first five years of my Christian life. And although this view might seem plausible to us at first, what we are going to see this morning is that the Apostle Paul, and by extension God, because Paul is writing this out infallibly by the word of God, is we're going to see that Paul totally just wrecks this view. He teaches that the gospel is not just for unbelievers, but also for believers too. And that all throughout our Christian life, our Christian experience, we're never to shift away from Jesus, but we are to be focused on Jesus from beginning to end because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So let's kind of look at this truth, this beautiful biblical truth here as we kind of go through the verses here, verse by verse, starting at verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So Paul is, is thanking God for their faith because God is the author and the finisher of our faith. As we read from the prophet Jonah this morning, salvation belongs to the Lord. So if you have faith in Jesus, you don't like thank yourself, like, oh, thank you, Nate. It's so great that you have faith. You thank God. God is the author of salvation. We're, we thank him for sending Christ to die for all of our sins and uh, atone for us and give us righteousness. And so it's all God that we give the glory to when we have salvation. That's why Paul thanks God for their faith. And then he uses this kind of phrase here that their faith has been proclaimed throughout all the world. Um, and so all scholars virtually grant that this is a hyperbole. We know it's a hyperbole because later on in the, uh, in the epistle to Romans here, um, in Paul's letter, he says to, uh, he's, he wants to go to Spain because it's an unreached people group. He wants to preach the gospel there. So, I mean, he obviously, it's not like, you know, Paul's, you know, he obviously knows there are people in Spain who haven't heard the gospel, right? So pull this down. This is kind of loud. Um, or at least loud from how I can hear it. Um, so yeah, he, he clearly knows this, right? That, that there are unreached people groups. So everybody grants that when he says, proclaim in all the world, it's a hyperbole. And then so Paul goes on to explain the importance of the gospel for him and for the Romans. Verse nine, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that God somehow by God's will, I may now at least at last succeed in coming to you. Um, it's, it's amazing here how like he's constantly praying for them. And this shows really the importance of prayer in the Christian life, how we are to be in a continuous state of prayer. I mean, not like you're you know, on your hands and knees, like going like this, you don't have to use these and thous, but you can 
pray while you're driving. I wouldn't suggest closing your eyes while you do that, though, because you might get in a car accident, so don't do that. You know, Pastor Nate told me to pray in my car. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. I am saying, though, that, you know, it's good to be in a continual meditative state in prayer, praising God for his gifts he's given us and saving people, praying for people. It's, it's something we should do, connecting us with God and God's people. Now, notice here, Paul says, um, the gospel of his son, his there refers to God the Father. Um, and what's amazing here is that the gospel is summarized as Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel because the gospel is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. You are not the gospel. You are not the hero. You cannot save yourself. Only Jesus is. And so that's Paul's point here is that he has come to save you from all of your sins. And it's in him we trust alone for that. And so that's why you can describe the gospel here as ultimately just Jesus. Um, Verse 11, he talks about how when he comes to preach this gospel, it will bring them a spiritual blessing. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Notice it's not like Christianity. Some people think Christianity is like a John Wayne, you know, us four and no more, kind of like just an individualistic religion that's totally detached and separated from community. I mean, he's saying, no, we, we need each other. I, your faith encourages me and my faith encourages you. We need to be connected in the body of Christ. We need to come to church to encourage each other as we uh, walk with Christ in this life. And so Christianity has is, is always been a community religion. It's not me and my King James on a desert island, you know, and I'm by myself with Jesus. It is a, it's, it's a worldview that's done in community with, with others. Now, this phrase here, uh, the spiritual gift, it, it's not like um, the type of spiritual gift that you see in the Bible, like prophecy, tongues, or healing. It's mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. It's not like Paul saying, all of a sudden, I'm going to show up and I'm going to give you guys tongues and healing and all this. No, he's not saying that. The word, the Greek word for spiritual gift here, uh, best probably means is spiritual benefit, spiritual blessing. And so when Paul comes to preach the gospel and he sees their faith and his faith, that will bless them spiritually in Christ. So the, the gospel and its results brings this spiritual benefit or blessing. So the gospel benefits believers. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest um, among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. He's talking to believers, reaping a harvest among them too. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. The gospel is not for any set people group. It's for all people, all races, all backgrounds, for everybody, Greeks and barbarians. Not saying that any of you are barbarians, God forbid, no. Um, it's a little, he's a little, Paul's not being politically correct here. Okay, let's just face it, okay? Um, but he's saying the gospel's for everybody, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So Paul's saying here, hey, I am really excited that I get to preach the gospel to you believers in Rome. And as I mentioned before, this, this saying from Paul, it might seem strange to us. It might seem foreign as it did to me when I first, well, I would say the first five years I was Christian, it seemed, it seemed bizarre to me because, you know, you think about like a Billy Graham, no one knows who Billy Graham is anymore. Like millennials, like, do you even know who he is? 
It's just, you gotta Google Billy Graham, man. I mean, I can't even say anywhere. Someone said, you know, I, I said a Billy Graham crusade, and someone's like, youngsters have no idea who Billy Graham is, Nate. I'm like, goodness gracious. So how about this? Um, Greg Laurie. You're going to a Greg Laurie harvest, you know, thing, uh, crusade. And, you know, with these kind of harvest crusades, people have this tendency to think like events like this are only for unbelievers. You know, invite your unbelieving friends, hook them in, you know, because, you know, believers don't need this, but your next door neighbor who's an unbeliever, he really has to go to the Greg Laurie crusade to hear the gospel and be saved. And this is a common mindset among, not that you shouldn't invite your friends. I'm not saying that like, oh, Nate said not to invite my friends. No, I'm saying you should, but it's not just for unbelievers as the mindset of American Christianity is. You need the gospel to get saved, but you, you grow by focusing on the gospel. Uh, it's not like, oh, well, you know, you, you grow by focusing on being really good and having a lot of good work, you know, really trying hard, you know, leave it to beaver, you know, metal to the pedal. You're really gonna just work hard here. And, uh, you know, the start of your Christian life is a cross, but the rest of it's a ladder. You know, you start with a cross and grace, and then you're, you're climbing the stairway to heaven after that. And um, I, I, so I, as I said, I actually thought this, and this is an embarrassing moment for me at seminary. It's like, it was like, it happened to be that every single professor at the seminary I was attending was in the room, and like every person I knew was in the room. It was a monumental, embarrassing thing where one of the professors was giving, interpreting the Bible and, you know, talking to us about it and saying, yeah, we're saved by grace and we grow by grace. It's you know, uh, it was called sanctification, becoming more holy and being saved. Both of those things, growth and being saved, is by God's grace. And I was like, no, you're wrong in front of everybody. And um, I was like, yeah, you know, you're saved by grace and then you just got to work really hard. And he got, you know, he gave some Bible verses and corrected me in front of everybody. And then I felt like an idiot. Um, so, uh, you know, I was one of those people in seminary that would always raise their their hand, you know, and ask questions. And that time I certainly learned not to do that anymore, ever again. Um, no, seriously. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, like from this vantage point, this view of Christianity is almost presented like, it's like a trick. It's like a, you know, it's a bait and switch. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're, you're saved by, by grace and faith alone. It's, it's all Jesus that, that saves you. And then once you become a Christian, it's like, okay, here we go. Okay, it's Jesus saves you. Now you really gotta work hard. It starts by grace, but now you're in by works, you know? Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears got you in, but now he's now we're gonna ask for a pint from you, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, does that really sound like, like rest to you? Does that really sound like Jesus' yoke is easy and light, as it says in Matthew 11? No, it doesn't sound like rest. It sounds like more work. Um, when we need rest for our weary souls. And that is why Paul says he is excited. He's happy to preach the gospel to believers, not just those outside of the church, but those inside of the church that desperately need to hear the gospel as well. And so Paul, this is not like, you know, something that happens once in the Bible. I mean, the whole gospel message is presented to the church of Rome. So it's pretty clear that there that the gospel is being preached to uh, believers. Um, but he teaches the same exact spiritual principle here. You know, he says, you know, you Galatians, we're going to see. He says, you guys started by a cross, and now you're trying to climb up to heaven with a ladder. He says, Galatians 3, 2 through 3. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? He's like, how did you start? Was it by trying and working and achieving, or was it by resting, believing, and uh, receiving Christ? 
He says, no, are you so foolish? Have you begun by the spirit? Have you begun by God's grace? And now you're being perfected by the flesh by working and trying? So this is why, you know, he's so eager. But why do we need to kind of pound this important lesson for us as Christians? Why, why does Paul teach here that we never need to grow, we never outgrow the preaching of the gospel here in Galatians and in Romans? Because, you know, I understand it. You think, well, okay, I've heard it. I know what the gospel is. Forgiveness of my sins by trusting in Jesus. I mean, I receive his righteousness. It's by grace alone. Okay, so, you know, I'm good to go. Right, what do I need to know? And, you know, and this is a, you know, a, a common thing, you know, that p- people have uh, that they think they don't need to be reminded of it. Well, I mean, studies show that it helps to remind yourself. It, it forms beliefs when you remind yourself of something over and over again. Um, and it's important for us as we're, you know, maybe we've been a Christian for five, 10, um, 15 years. And it's important to, to remind yourself of this because this is something that happened to me. Um, and this was only, I would say, about two years into my Christian walk. You know, you, you first hear the gospel and you realize, okay, I'm a train wreck. I'm a, I'm a I'm wretched sinner. I'm messed up. And, you know, I've trusted in Jesus. And out of desperation, I've reached out to the grace of Christ to receive mercy and the kindness of God. And I'm saved and I'm so happy and you're thankful. You're born again. You have such a passion for God. You're on fire for Christ. You're telling everybody at the supermarket about Jesus. You're obnoxious among your relatives. Don't do that. I'm just saying, you know, but you know, you're really, you're really excited about Jesus. You're sharing Jesus with everybody and you realize just what a wreck you are and how much Jesus has done to save you from death, hell, and sin. And so you're, you're just so grateful. You're so happy and you're thankful. And every song you hear on Caleb, you're just crying, you know. You're like, oh, Jesus, thank you. I've never cried on Caleb. No, I have. Um, you know, you're just so thankful for Jesus saving you. Um, and, you know, I, I remember when I became a Christian, um, this is not going to sound bizarre. I was so excited about Jesus. I went to like four different churches. I went to like a, I went to like a Baptist church in Los Angeles. I went to Calvary Chapel in your Belinda. I went to like multiple different churches. I went to like, I made it so I went to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think Saturday. I mean, I made it to where I went to church like most of the days and, you know, you're like, I just was so excited to hear about Jesus and to read the Bible and to hear preaching. It was just a huge thing for me. But you see, something happens after a year or two of doing that, or maybe 10 years for you, who knows? You know, you start going to these churches, you, you know, you start really getting down the Bible, down pat, you know, all the verses you're getting, you're just, you're, and you've given up all the stupid things that you used to do. Obviously, I never gave up on the stupid things I used to say. Um, I still say stupid things. But you know, you give up on a lot of the bad habits that you once had and you, you know, that you used to commit when you were an unbeliever. And you start seeing, you know, transformation in your life and you're going to church, you're hanging out with Christian friends, you know. Um, you start thinking, you know, well, I'm not so bad anymore. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. Help out the poor, Go to church, in my case, three times a week, kind of excessive, right? Over three times. You know, I give offering, I volunteer at the church, you know. You know, I'm just, I really think about it. I've really grown and I'm just a really good person. You know, start thinking that and without realizing it, all of a sudden, Frank the Pharisee, if your name's Frank, I'm sorry. Um, Frank the Pharisee just starts sneaking up on you, you know. And you, you sound like a a Pharisee. That's what a Pharisee sounds like. And don't take my word for it. Um, look at what uh, the Pharisee says in Luke 18, 
uh, 10 through 14, he says, uh, this, this is what Luke says, two men went up, or Jesus, quote, quote, Luke quoting Jesus, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I go to church four times a week. That's what I was kind of thinking. I, I give all the tithes that, of, of that I get. Well, I didn't do that because I was a poor college student, so there we go. But, but the, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So I tell you, this man, the, the, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, declared righteous, rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, yeah, this, this happens to people who have been a Christian maybe for two, three, 10, 20 years, and you've been faithfully attending church and raising a family, and you, know, you feel like you got this thing called life. You feel like you got it down pretty good. You don't feel desperate like you used to feel and broken and a mess when you first got saved, and so you start, you know, Frank the Pharisee starts coming in. I'm not that bad. You know, it's, kind of, it's like you got like, you know, the tax collector on one shoulder, kind of like uh, you got Frank the Pharisee on the other shoulder. You know, you're not that bad. You're pretty good. Um, and this is because the focus has changed on yourself instead of Jesus Christ. And if you're acting like a Pharisee, by the way, you're not growing as a Christian. If you're acting like a Pharisee, the only thing you're growing in is pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness, being judgmental. And that's not moving forward, by the way. That is moving backwards in the Christian life. And this is why believers need to hear the gospel regularly, as Paul suggests in our text, because the gospel reminds us that, hey, you're not the main show, Jesus is. You're a, you're a train wreck sinner that needs uh, grace every day, every hour, every minute. And so we need to hear and be reminded of God's grace in the gospel. We do not grow beyond the gospel. We grow deeper and deeper into the gospel. And if we're just doing a little bit of good, we start getting this big head and the gospel comes and crushes and destroys that self-righteousness and exalts the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And after all, we are the ones that got us into this mess and Jesus got us out. And the gospel reminds us of that and it produces this humility in the Christian life, the humility that you know, when Frank the Pharisee comes and knocks that down, we need to be reminded of it. I like the way John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, he puts it pretty well when he says, whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angered nor harsh or critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinner, knowing that if there is a difference, it is grace alone which has made it. So the first reason why we need to hear the gospel is to have greater humility in our Christian life. The second, I'm gonna give three total. The second reason we need to hear the gospel is to strengthen us in our battle with sin. And um, if you're being honest, if we're being transparent, you and I, we sin every single hour. I mean, if you're just, think about it for a second, I mean, on some level, um, I, I can't think of a single moment where my thoughts were like, a hundred percent perfect. Can you? A hundred percent perfect? Like it could pass the mustering infinite judgment of God. Your thoughts were a hundred percent perfect. I can't remember a single time where that's been the case. I mean, every thought we have is a little bit 
tainted with a little bit, not, you know, I'm not saying you're constantly thinking of yourself, um, unless you're a narcissist, but I mean, you know, um, a little bit of selfishness, right? And so, yeah, we, we, need, we need grace because, yeah, our, our thoughts are, are filled with a little bit of imperfection, you know, I mean, I would say on a minute-by-minute minute basis. And the Bible affirms that we always have sin in our life. You never reach a point where you've made it and you're at a point of sinless perfectionism. I've used this verse many, many times over and over again, but I just, it gets the point across. John says in the present tense in Greek, if we say we have no sin presently in our lives, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it sounds like the apostle has a pretty big you know, vested interest in us saying that we still sin, we still struggle with sin. Um, and that means we need grace constantly. We need to be reminded of God's grace regularly. And you have to ask yourself, okay, so why is it that we sin every day? And you're not gonna like this very much, but the reason why we sin every day is because we love to sin. We want to sin. That's why we sin. We, we, we want to do it. Um, and if you disagree with me, you might end up sounding like that Pharisee. We don't wanna do that. Um, so here's a question, and it's an important one. So then how do we stop loving sin in our lives? How do we lessen the desire to sin in our lives? Um, when we really want uh, to, to do that, is it just by like repeating, be good? Here's a commandment, you shouldn't sin, don't sin. It's, it's like as if repeating a law is gonna stop it, it's not. I mean, it's not gonna have any, rules don't have any power in and of themselves to change or transform. Um, you know, you have a map that tells you where to go. That has no power to put gas in your vehicle. That just tells you where to go. We still gotta figure out, okay, how are we gonna fill this car full of gas? In this case, the gas is grace, which doesn't really roll off the tongue too well. Um, so, I mean, yeah, rules are simply a roadmap. They do not change or transform anybody. Uh, my kids love ice cream and they eat too much of it. Um, and I enable that to some degree or another. But, um, you know, it's not, I'm not gonna get my kids to stop loving ice cream by saying, hey, don't like ice cream, stop loving that ice cream. That's not gonna change anything. That's not gonna transform anybody. Um, and the only way to lessen the love of sin in our lives is to overcome it with a greater love for Christ. Because if you love Jesus more than your sin, you're not gonna wanna sin as much. And that's why we need the gospel because the gospel reminds us of all the amazing things Jesus did for us by dying on the cross, taking the wrath of God in our place, by making this infinite sacrifice, and that makes us love Jesus more and love sin less. The gospel gives us the most beautiful, amazing, transformative news ever that you are far more broken and messed up and sinful than you could ever imagine. But in Jesus Christ, you are far more loved, cherished, and accepted than you've ever dreamed. When we hear about this and all that Jesus has done, it brings transformation. It brings the increase of love for Christ up and our love by, by implication down. So the last and third reason why Christians need to hear the gospel is because we struggle to believe it every day. I mean, isn't that the case? Like the father, man, um, who got his son healed in the gospel of Mark, he says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. 
It's totally me. We, we struggle to believe the gospel. We are skeptical towards things that are too good to sound true. They're too good to sound true. We, we have this general skepticism towards really good, good news. Um, and, you know, um, there is some merit in doing that, right? Um, if you get a text message that says you're going to win a billion dollars and a Nigerian prince is telling you that or an email, you know, you should probably be a little skeptical, you know? Okay, yeah. Nigerian prince, billion dollars? Yeah, I don't think so, right? Um, or some guy from Europe saying that he's your long distant relative and he's in a Dyson and you can have his million dollar inheritance. All you gotta do is give him his bank account. You should be skeptical about those things. I'm not saying you're like, oh yeah, let me put my, I, I should not be so skeptical. No, you should be really of those things. Cause there are things that when they sound too good to be true, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe this is a scam here, you know? And so we are taught and conditioned in society to be naturally skeptical towards really, really good news. Say it seems too good to be True, and this is especially true when we are told that we do not have to work, achieve, or try for God's love. He just loves us. You know, I think about it. Everything in your life, your job, relationships, success, your livelihood, all of those things you have to work for. You have to strive. And we get exhausted sometimes. They get tired. You know, oh gosh, you know, I just want to just take a nap and go in the fetal position and eat Hagen Dazs. You, know, you just get tired and weary sometimes, you know? And so when the gospel comes to us and says, Jesus did it all for you, our skeptical barometer kind of comes up and pops up here. And on top of that, when the reality of sin is faced in our lives. We just see the ugliness of our sin and our heart. We just feel like, oh man, you know, God is totally mad at me after saying or doing that. He's so mad. Or God's gonna, is God punish me for something? What have I done wrong? Or I know I've done something wrong. God's gonna punish me for that. And so when we sin badly sometimes, really badly, and we really mess up, we really say something hurtful or offensive to someone who we love or care about, in our lives, or we've really let somebody down. That's the worst feeling. You just really let somebody down. You're like, God, goodness gracious. There is no way I can be forgiven for this. So Christians don't, like, don't sin like this, so I must not be a Christian. That's what we think. Well, you know, I'm a Christian. Christians cannot mess up like this. There's no way I'm a Christian. So we, we slip in to this works-based thinking, don't we? We slip into this legalistic thinking and we think, okay, if I keep on sinning, then God's forgiveness, love, and mercy is gonna run out on me. And so we start having doubts about the gospel. We have doubts about our own salvation, where we stand with God. And so our hearts are just restless over this. And this is why Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, once put it very well. He says, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. That is truly the case. Is when you're met with that terrible reality of sin every hour and the pessimism that's faced in the world, we need to be constantly and continually met over and over and over again by the grace and mercy of God. And so here's the main point. If your primary focus is on the Christian life rather than the Christ, then you're gonna be in despair. If you are focused on yourself and how you are doing rather than what Jesus has already done for you, then you're going to slip into a spiritual funk. And so this is why the Christian life, we are primarily to be focused on not our righteousness, but Jesus's righteousness, not my obedience, but Jesus's obedience for me. God does not love you because you are good, but because Jesus has been good for you in your place. That's good news. And so the start of the Christian life is focused on what Jesus has done for us 
And also our dying breath in the Christian life is to be focused on what Jesus has done for us. So that when we go to heaven, when we're on our deathbed, whenever that is for you, you're not saying, okay, well, I am going to heaven because of this, this, or this, or I'm not going into heaven because of this, this, or this. Say, I'm going to heaven because Jesus was good for me. And so all the glory, all the praise goes to Jesus Christ alone and not you. So that even our growth, and that, that news, by the way, that brings the most growth. Christian growth is not works-based, it's grace-based. Um, I think one of the best images I've ever seen of Christian growth ever, and it's like images convey so many messages, as this, um, this guy, uh, this gentleman, he's on an escalator, right? And he falls down on the escalator and the escalator's going up as he's like bumbling and stuff. So he's stumbling and he's going upward, right? And so as we are weak and, and sinful and falling and stumbling, Jesus in his grace is growing us as we're fumbling and stumbling. And so we are weak, but Christ is strong to grow us and sustain us. And so that's why I think that's the best image of, of Christian growth ever. So we need grace when we are saved. We need grace every day as a Christian. And this makes us more like Jesus, makes us less arrogant, less judgmental, less prideful, and more dependent on God in Christ. So you have the attitude of uh, John Newton and the Apostle Paul, which uh, I love this. This is like so opposite of the Pharisee in Luke. Um, This is what uh, John Newton, the hymn writer of Amazing Grace says. He says, as a perfect statement of Christian growth, I am not what I ought to be, I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, that is opposite of the Pharisee. It's giving all praise and glory to Christ and not you. And so as we saw from this text this morning, the gospel's for those inside the church and those outside of the church. And if you've come this morning and you're not, you've not been to church before or you're an unbeliever or you're struggling with things and you are tired and you're weary and you're beat down and you need grace, you need mercy, you need rest, you need peace, I'd ask you this morning, come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and he will give you rest. He will give you peace. He will forgive you of all the sins that are weighing down so heavy and the burdens on your shoulders, he will give you rest and peace by his blood and righteousness alone. Let us pray.